Good morning, everybody. I, I sometimes think that it would be great if we could not have to stop and have somebody get up and speak, and we could just go on worshiping. Um, and uh, if you feel the same way, come on Wednesday evening for our worship night. It's going to be excellent. So I um, hope you can make it for that. That is in your, your bulletin. That was a uh, no-cost extra announcement for you. Uh, my name is Dan. If I don't know you, um, I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm happy to be uh, given the opportunity to speak to you today. Um, and since we've already had a lot going on, I'll try to keep it a little shorter. We'll see how it works out. Uh, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would use my words uh, to bring glory to you and to Jesus. Uh, I ask that you would uh, open the hearts uh, and the ears of those who are here that are listening, um, that uh, you might do a good work in them, that you might bring them closer to yourself, and that you might make all of us effective at um, letting the world know who Jesus is. We ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. So we're taking a little break between series right now, and we're going to be reading out of the book of Philippians, if you want to kind of take a look at that. Um, uh, I thought that was really cool, that um, song that we just sang, uh, Let Our Faith Be More Than Anthem. And that, that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit today as we look at uh, the third chapter of Philippians. We're just going to be looking at a few verses there, verses 8 through 17. Um, as I was thinking about how to introduce this message, um, uh, I thought about in the past... Um, Monica and I have been involved in youth ministry a number of times, and and I can I can list a number of young men and women who spent a lot of time with us going uh, through youth ministry activities and faithfully coming on uh, midweek youth activities and that sort of thing, uh, who I know today have either rejected Christ or are living in a way where although they say that Jesus is Lord. They are very, very far from him. And, and that hurts, you know, when, when you invest, or even when it, it wasn't that you invested so much as you just saw somebody that seemed to be on, on track, and then they kind of come off track. Um, it, it hurts, and it makes you wonder what's going on. And if you look nationally, if you look at, uh, in the United States, adults under the age of 30, uh, about 30% of them um, have no religious belief at all. Um, they, they just, when they say, what do you believe? They say, oh, I'm not affiliated with anything. Truthfully, a lot of these people will say, I'm spiritual, or I believe in God, but they, they have no connection with a faith tradition. Uh, and the crazy thing is that 75% of those people have grown up in, in homes that are religious. So three quarters of those that are saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm more or less out grew up in an environment where they were told that they ought to be in. And it makes you ask the question, why is that happening? And this is of particular pertinence to us where we are today in this time in history and our culture because um, prior to the 1990s, the, the number of people that would identify themselves in surveys as being unaffiliated, they call them the nuns, um, was pretty consistently for decades 5 to 6%. And then in the 1990s, it started to go up. Um, so that by the time we get to 2020, the latest data that we have, it's about that 30% level. 
which is a huge change demographically in our country. And, and we have to ask the question why. And, and there's, of course, it's a complex issue. There's many reasons why. Uh, but we're going to talk about one thing today that plays, I, I believe, heavily into that. Um, and it rests firmly on our shoulders uh, as uh, those who claim to know Christ as Lord. So if you would, if you got your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17. Uh, and uh, I'd invite you to read along there. I'm going to have it on the screen here as well. So um, looking at Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straighting towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The me here, the person who's writing all this, is the Apostle Paul. And if you're not familiar with Paul's life... He, uh, at a mature age, he was opposed to the Christian faith, and God showed up in his life and revealed the fact that Jesus was who he was supposed to be following. And at that point, his life completely changes. Uh, And for the rest of his life, he's ardently following after Jesus. He pretty much leaves everything behind and completely changes the direction of his life. Uh, And he's responsible for most of the books that we have in our Bible in the New Testament. Um, He wrote most of them. And so so Paul is is a a fantastic example, a great um, uh, asset to us as we look at his life of somebody who was touched by Jesus and, and, uh, and was transformed by Jesus. Um, but you ask the question, how can, he, how can he say, hey, imitate me? Isn't that kind of prideful that he would do something like that? Uh, but um, it really isn't. And, and if you look at verses 12 and 13 in particular in here where he talks about his own shortcomings, he says, I'm not yet perfect. He says, I'm not yet there. He's not saying, be awesome like me. He's saying, join me, imitate me in the way that I follow after Christ. Um, And that's what he's pointing to, is not to himself, but in the fact that he lives a life that is pointed after Christ. Um, He lives a life that reflects what he believes about Jesus, uh, and that's what I want us to talk about today. I want to talk about the fact that the story of your life matters, the story of my life matters. And when I say the story of your life, I mean, if I could put a camera following you and listen to what you said and watch what you do, Uh, would it be something that tells a story about Jesus or would it be a a life that tells a story about something else? So we'll talk about why the story of our lives matter, uh, about Paul's specific story. We'll dig in a little deeper to what we just read and then we'll kind of reflect on that and say, what are our lives showing uh, about our belief in Christ? 
Um, so as we get into this, let's start, start just thinking about the idea of the story of your life. In, in life, you could kind of boil it down to two competing stories. Right? On the one hand, you have this story that says, the focus of life is about me. The focus of life is about now, what's happening right now. And, and kind of the goal of life is to feel good, to be comfortable, to, to be happy, to be smiling, all that sort of stuff. That is one story that is out there. Okay? There's another story that's out there that says that the focus of life is supposed to be him. It's supposed to be God. Right? And, and the focus of our life is not supposed to be on what's happening right now, but what's coming down the road. Okay? What's, what's coming in the long haul? Um, and our focus or our goal is not that we would feel good, but that we would somehow be made good. Okay? Obviously, the story on the left in blue is the story that the Bible presents. It's the story that Jesus uh, sacrificed himself for. And the story on the right is the one that pulls us away. And, and as we go through life, as we're confronted with all these different things, we have this tension of, I'm hearing two different stories. Which one is actually true? Okay. And I can look at history and say that's true. I can look at archaeology and say that's true. But, you know, the biggest thing that's going to decide which story I follow is which one is more actively compelling in my life. Okay. And so if we live a life that does not show that God's story is correct, uh, we should not be surprised at all with people just say, hey, I don't need any of that. I got this other story over here that looks really good to me. Um, and so we want to kind of talk through how that all comes together. Here's a big thing we have to consider is the Christian story. So if I say, hey, I'm going to be a representative of that story about it's about God and it's not about now and it's about being made good, um, there are some super concrete claims that are associated with that. So I can't just pretend. And if I do pretend, I'm going to look like a hypocrite. Right? So what do those concrete claims look like? Uh, we might be tempted to say, hey, I'm supposed to be a morally upright and good person. Okay? And that is certainly a consequence of following after Jesus, but that is not the central claim. The central claim is not, I am now good. Okay? The central claim is that Jesus is good. And so when we walk around as saying, I'm Christian, that word literally comes from a meaning saying, I am a little Christ. I have a Savior. He has made claims on my life, and I, I pursue those claims to the best of my human ability. So what are some of those claims? Here, here's three of them, and there's a whole list we could go through, but just to kind of think about some of the things that, that God says, this is what the life of a Christ follower should represent or should look like. This is what the story should say. Uh, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. These are all words that Jesus said. Okay? So if we don't give up everything, we can't be following after him. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If I'm not engaged in loving the brothers and sisters that know Jesus, then I am not his. Okay? Uh, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So again, we're called to live a life that is, reflects good, but points to the Father. And it's so important for us to think about that in our particular context because we live amongst a predominant religious culture that is fantastically good, fantastically nice, 
Okay? The local dominant religious culture is filled with people who are super friendly, who are super morally focused, trying to do the right things in terms of ethics and that sort of stuff. And so we've got to ask the question, is there a difference between what they believe, what the Bible says, and, and what we're trying to live out? Okay? And so our life, when, when God puts these concrete claims in front of us, if our life does not reflect those as we go through life, that when, we, when I stand up here and yap about these things, if I'm going out and living a different way, then my yapping is going to be meaningless. Okay? People don't care. This is what uh, evangelist Gypsy Smith says. He says, you are the fifth gospel. There's four gospels in the, the Bible. There's four stories of Jesus' life, four different accounts. And Gypsy Smith, who's an 18th century evangelist, says, or 19th century evangelist, says, there are five gospels... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the Christian. Most people never read the first four. Okay? So, so the way that we live our life is declaring the truth or the falsehood of what we say is in this book right here. Okay? Uh, and that's important for us to think about that. That's why the story of our lives matter. Okay? Uh, if I say it's all about Jesus, okay, and I take my family on ten vacations and never take them on a mission trip, Okay. I, I'm saying something very, very particular to my family, uh, and, and I'm, I'm undermining my words through my actions. Right? Um, if I tell my kids, trust in the Lord, and when they say, hey, I want to go do this, this trip with the youth group, and I go, no, it's not safe, guess what? My trust in the Lord only applies so far. It's not real trust. It's just kind of trust, right? Um, uh, if I say Jesus is wonderful, if I walk around saying Jesus is wonderful with a frown on my face, complaining about everything else. Okay? I'm, I'm undermining the, the, the truth of the gospel that Jesus is wonderful because I'm not living as if that is true. And that's what Gypsy Smith means by the fact that we're our fifth gospel. Um, I always think it's cool when I'm prepping for a message, it's, it's almost invariable that God will start to drop things into my lap to help my small brain figure out what it is that I'm supposed to say. And th- this week on, I think, Monday or Tuesday, I got an email from this, this uh, pastor that puts out this blog, um, and, and it talked just about this. And this is what he said. He, he talks about an apologetic, which is an apology. It, it means a defense or an argument for, right? He says, in truth, there's only one argument for the Christian faith, one apologetic that is unanswerable, meaning there is no rebuttal. There's no way anyone could ever argue against it, which makes it the most powerful and forceful apologetic of all. It's your story. How we live is the most profound way that we declare the gospel. Um, And so as we think about that, let's look real quick through these verses that we just looked at about what story Paul's life tells. So when he says, imitate me, Does that really make sense? So Paul in these verses is saying nothing compares to Christ. He says in verse 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When Paul is saying that, that, that everything is lost, he's got some real bona fides to stick behind that. Right, Because if you know the story of Paul's life, he's been shipwrecked, he's been beaten, he's left his culture, he's left his job, he's left his home. Um, he's, 
been left for dead after being stoned, he has lived it as if everything else is a loss compared to Christ. And so when he says that, you can take it as uh, he really means it. Okay? Um, Paul is living a life that reflects total dependence on Christ. He says in verse 9, I'm not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul is not saying, hey, I got this figured out. I am now good. He is saying, I got this figured out. Christ is good, and I need to be hitched to him because he's my only hope. Right? He, he is focused on the fact that Christ is the only way uh, for him to have any hope for the future. And when he says, imitate me, he is being fully dependent on Christ to finish the work in progress that is his life. Um, he says, one of, the, one of the most powerful phrases, I think, in this, this passage is when he says, I want to share his sufferings and become like him in his death. Okay? Paul is, is willfully saying, I want to join Jesus in, in the way that he suffered. Why? Because he realizes that Christ is the way to resurrection. He is the way to eternal life. And he is the only way. And Paul is pointing out to the fact that if I can fully... Uh, just immerse myself in Christ, I have this promise of eternity which is awesome and abundant. Okay? So Paul is completely dependent on Christ. And, and lastly, I want you to note that Paul is talking in terms of there is a willful response to Christ. He is absolutely clear that Christ has done a work in him. He says in verse 12, Christ Jesus made me his own. Paul is not saying like, hey, I've, I've, I've gotten good enough here. No, he's saying Christ has done this amazing thing in me. But then look how he responds to that. He says, uh, forgetting what lies behind. He says, straining forward. And you've got to press on toward the goal. Uh, if we look at 2 Timothy where he's talking just before he's, he's taken to be executed, he realizes he's going to his death, uh, a death that is because of his faith in Christ. And he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. There's this way that Paul talks that says this was a hard, effort-filled, difficult, long thing that I've done. Okay? And that's how he's speaking here in Philippians, that, that this is work. We've got to strain. We've got to press on. Okay? And that is the story that his life is telling. So if that's the story that, that Paul says, and he says, imitate me, We've got to ask the question, are we imitating him? And could we say, hey, hey, y'all, imitate me. A little bit of Georgia come back up in me for a second there, sorry. So, so he says, uh, says or, or we should be asked the question, um, should people imitate me as I pursue Christ? And, and I, want to, I want to let you know that part of the motivation for picking this chapter, this, this passage today, is because I have a pastoral concern, okay? Um, when, when we have a congregation and we put out a request to pray and like three people show up, that concerns me not because I'm like, oh, man, uh, you know, I don't have the numbers that I'm supposed to have. It concerns me because I wonder, do people realize that God is there and that praying actually matters? When we, put, when we have Sunday school and, and less than 10% of the congregation shows up, or if we try to do a midweek study and like three people show up, okay, I, I have a pastoral concern. I'm wondering not that... We need to have tons of people showing up. You know, I couldn't make it to prayer this morning. I was getting ready for the camp that we have starting this week. But I have a pastoral concern that says, hey, do people realize 
that Jesus is everything? And, and do they know that it takes effort to invest in him? Okay. Uh, when we advertise a mission trip and only like three people even say anything about it, okay, I have a question. Do people realize how important it is to, to go out and, and share the gospel, that that is our, our Lord's will? Um, when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I'm concerned about the giving in the church because when we add a pastor's salary, things will get a lot tighter, okay? I go, well, I'm not really concerned about the financial position of the church. We got plenty of money and savings. Uh, God always provides, and we have people here that are super faithfully giving. Uh, you all just did an amazing thing for one of the families in this church that had a financial need. You gave like crazy, and that was fantastic. But the fact that overall we don't have this pattern of giving well okay, makes me pretty certain that there's some people in here that don't realize that God needs to own their finances as well. Okay? And that concerns me. Not because I think you have to be the perfect Christian, but because if we don't live as if Christ is real, the world does not realize that he is, and we miss out on the blessings that he's offering us. So if we're going to have a life that tells the story of that nothing compares to Christ, here's three hard truths that we have to deal with. And they're only hard because we're stuck in this world. If, if our eyes are on Jesus, they get a lot easier. But here's the first one. Following Jesus should cost you dearly in your relationships. Okay? You should pay a price following Jesus when it comes to relationships. That price might be pride. You have to sacrifice your own prize and forgive somebody else. That price may be that you miss out on love or association or something like that because you do things that other people, or you won't do things that other people will do. Um, you may have to experience heartache because you're going to be vulnerable in front of somebody else. You're going to do what it takes to love somebody else, and they're going to you know, relationally kick you in the teeth. Okay? And you do that because Jesus is Lord. Right? I know a young lady who is struggling through a circumstance where she, she feels a romantic pull towards a young man who doesn't know Jesus. And she is so strongly tempted to pursue whatever it takes to pursue that romance. And she knows that if she sticks to the boundaries that Jesus has put in place, that she might miss out on that entirely. Okay? And that's a hard place to be in, but that is the cost of following Jesus. And here's the thing, if she's willing to do exactly what Jesus does... God only knows, but maybe her fidelity to the truth of the gospel will be the very thing that convinces that guy that there's something to this Jesus thing, right? So it's hard. We have to pay relational costs. And if in our pursuit of Jesus we're not paying any costs, you've got to ask the question, is my story doing anything? Is it telling the truth about Jesus? Uh, the second big thing is following Jesus should cost us dearly in our finances and this is essentially the third time I've talked about finances, twice fr from me and once from um, Anthony talking about the, uh, the online giving. I want you to understand, I don't get paid. This is not an attempt to get more money into the coffers. This is an attempt for us to understand that Jesus owns everything. It's so important for us. Um, statistically, we Christians spend about 98% of our income on ourselves. That is a scary number. Because most of us are very, very wealthy by the world standards. 98% okay? of our stuff is spent on ourselves. The average American Christian gives one penny per day for global missions. There's people out there that are suffering incredible persecution that don't even know the gospel. And we tend not to, 
to do anything to help them out. Uh, that's not a good thing. Um, the biblical standard is that we should be, uh, or not that we should be more generous than the next guy, but that Christ gets everything. Okay? Um, and, and I personally, I struggle with this. I, I, I always want to grab on to my money and hold it tight. And I find it is so helpful for me when I can spend things on the kingdom, when I can let go of things, because it reminds me over and over and over again that Jesus is Lord, and it helps me not to try to grab hold of things myself. Okay. Um, there, we, if, if you participated in the secret church thing we did a couple months ago, you saw a video where a couple had decided that they were going to give 51% of their income to Jesus. Every month, they write checks that 51% of what they get goes out uh, for kingdom work. Uh, that's an incredible inspiration to me, uh, and they are much closer to God's pattern of what it means to be a Christian than I am. I found this, this message as I was prepping for it this week very convicting in my own life. Okay? Uh, the last big thing uh, that, that Jesus following Jesus is going to cost you, it's going to cost you time. Okay? And if you're not spending a lot of time uh, for Jesus' sake, uh, the message that your, your life is telling is probably off a little bit. Raise your hand if you pulled an all-nighter to pass an exam or get a paper turned in. Don't raise your hand, but have you ever pulled an all-nighter for God? Okay. It's funny how we're, we're happy to go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to push through, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get this turned in. But when it comes to doing stuff for the kingdom frequently, we're like, no, I don't have time. I'll, I'll turn my schedule inside out to make sure that we're able to get my son to his basketball game. Okay. But I won't do anything close to that when it's just about going to a conference about technology in the home or something like that. Now I'm too busy for that, right? So, so when I do that, when I think that way, I, I'm not thinking about the fact that prayer takes time, that Bible study takes time, that missions take time, that service takes time. God has given us all 24 hours every day to use. The question is whether we're using it because Christ is everything or whether we're fitting Christ in around the edges of everything else that's going on in our lives. Okay? I have a friend that was called at 3 in the morning uh, some of his buddies were driving to a job site, I think it was out near Milford, um, and their truck broke down. And they had to get to the job site to keep their jobs. And so they called my buddy at 3 in the morning and said, hey, dude, can you pick us up and just take us to the job site? Okay? And he did. He got dressed, got, picked him up, took him to their job site. But here's the thing is his friends knew that they could call him at 3 in the morning okay, and say, hey, I'm in, I need help. Uh, that guy that got the call, he is an avid follower of Christ. His friends knew if you need help at any time, that time is available to you. Okay? And that's the kind of message that our life can tell when we live as if Christ is everything. Okay? Following Jesus takes a lot of effort. And, and this last bullet is mostly for those of you that are already doing all the things above. Okay? You may be tired you may be like, hey, I put my time in. I've done this a thousand times. I don't want to do it a thousand and one times. Uh, you may be going like, hey, is this ever going to end? And the answer it is, it is when your ticker stops ticking and your brain stops waving, it's going to end. But until then, fight the good fight. Continue the race. Keep the faith. Uh, because your life is saying something to the world around you. Last big thought as I close this up. I was trying to keep it short, but I don't think I did a real great job at it. 
Okay. Um, the story of your life totally matters. And right now, as I've put these things in front of you, I'm wondering if maybe some of you are disheartened, sorrowful, fearful, maybe angry at me for, hey, why are you calling me out this way? Um, maybe some of you are determined to do more to impress God. And if you're, if you're thinking that way right now, uh, don't. Okay? That, that is not the message. The message is that Christ is everything and that our life has to reflect that. There's this great story in Mark chapter 10 about a guy who's rich that comes to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, Follow the commandments. This is a paraphrase, so you Bible scholars, don't hold me to it. All right. So this is a, this is a paraphrase, but he says, uh, Teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, Follow the commandments. And the guy says, I've done this since my youth. And this is what it says in verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, go sell all that you have and come follow me. Okay? What I want you to see, the, the, the part of this verse that I highlighted, is Jesus looked at him and loved him. When Jesus said, give up everything, he wasn't like, hey, prove yourself to me. He's like, no, I'm going to give you the key to the best life you can possibly have. Get rid of all that other stuff and follow me. Okay? And that is what our life has to reflect. That is why I've taken the time to go through these verses in this way, is to say, hey, if you have a life, if you have a, if you have a theology that says Jesus is everything, does your life reflect that as well? That's why that song struck me. Let our faith be more than anthems. Let my faith be more than just the word Jesus is everything, okay? But I ask God that my life would tell the story that Jesus truly is everything. Uh, if it does, I'm going to have a huge impact on the people around us, uh, and I'm going to draw closer to my Lord in that. I'm going to experience him in the abundance that he wants me to experience. And the truth is, if I have a life where I say Jesus is everything, but the actions of my life don't tell that, there's a big question about whether Jesus really is everything at all to me. Okay, so let's pray.